Welcome to the Sunday Message Podcast of Bethany Church in Fresno, California. We hope this message will encourage and equip you as you grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. If today's message helps you, share it with a friend. If you would like to know more about the ministry of Bethany Church, please reach out on Facebook or at BethanyChurchFresno.com. And now, here's this week's message. We are going to continue today. We're going to jump back into our message series in the book of Galatians. We call this the gospel of freedom. We've been at this for several weeks and we've got several weeks more to go. We're almost halfway through the book. And so I'm pretty excited about just the good things that God's teaching us uh, through this series. And so we're going to be in Galatians chapter 3 today. If you are in your um, New Testament, you get through the Gospels, you get through Acts, you get through Romans, you get through 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, and then you hit Galatians. Um, and it's, uh, it's a letter written by Paul to some people that were struggling with their doctrine. And so we're going to be in chapter 3, picking up at verse 15. If you've got your Bible with you, I invite you to open that up. And if you're able to stand Uh, with me for the reading of God's Word this morning. He writes this, Dear brothers and sisters, here's an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or amend an irrevocable agreement, so it is in this case. God gave the promises to Abraham and his child. Now, literally, it's to his seed, uh, uh, which means child or offspring. And notice the scripture doesn't say to his children or to his seeds as if it meant many descendants. Rather, it says to his child, to his seed. And that, of course, means Christ. Verse 17. This is what I'm trying to say. The agreement God made with Abraham could not be canceled 430 years later when God gave the law to Moses. God would be breaking his promise. For if the inheritance could be received by keeping the law, then it would not be the result of accepting God's promise. But God graciously gave it to Abraham as a promise. Verse 19, why then was the law given? It was given alongside the promise to show people their sins. But the law was designed to last only until the coming of the child who was promised. God gave his law through angels to Moses, who was the mediator between God and the people. And now a mediator and now a mediator is helpful if more than one party must reach an agreement. But God, who is one, did not use a mediator when he gave his promise to Abraham. Verse 21. Is there a conflict then between God's law and God's promises? Absolutely not. If the law could give us new life, we could be made right with God by obeying it. But the scriptures declare that we're all prisoners of sin. And so we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. All right. Thank the Lord for his word. Let's be seated together. I'm going to try to keep us on track. Not 9.30 service. I, uh, 9 o'clock. What was the time was that? 9 o'clock? It's been a week. Uh, I ran out of time, and so we didn't get to the whole thing. So we're going to try to do a better job of that, this message. But if we're going to talk about the promises of God, I do have to do a history lesson. I've got to go back and talk about Abraham. Now, Abraham is really considered the father of Jewish people. And you you first get introduced to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, starting at verse 1. And uh, there he's actually named Abram, A-B-R-A-M, Abram. And later his name is is changed. And, and, and here's how we meet Abraham, right? So we come through the creation 
uh, we've, we've kind of the, the rise of human civilization. It's really wicked. God destroys everything except Noah's family and the people rise up again. And finally, we're introduced to Abraham 4,100 years ago. That's what we're talking about. And it said, the Lord had said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family and go to the land. I'll show you. I'll make you into a great nation. I'll bless you. I'll make you famous. Uh, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. So what you have here is you got Abraham, who who the kind of his first encounter with God starts with a series of promises. He lives off somewhere what would be Iraq today, or uh, de- depending how you figure out the map, Syria, Iran, somewhere in there. And he's like. God says, I want you to move. And, and God's going to lead him to what is today, what we'd say is the, the land of Israel, that, that territory. And he does. Verse 4 says he departed. He takes his whole family. He's pretty well to do. Takes all his household, his flocks, his herds. He actually takes his nephew, Lot, whose father had passed away. So he kind of, kind of an adopted son in a sense. But he takes Lot with him. And, uh, and they, they make this move. And, and it says, verse 6, Abram traveled through the land as far as Shechem and he set up camp beside the Oak of Morah and the, the area was inhabited by Canaanites. In verse 7, the Lord appeared to Abraham, Abram and said, I will give this land to your descendants. And Abram built an altar there and dedicated it to the Lord who had appeared to him. So this promise of I'm going to make you a nation, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to, I'm going to make your name great, and I'm going to give you land. I'm going to give you territory. And so even today, if you go to Israel, the, the, the people there will say, God, we didn't come up with this land. God gave us this land. He, he said we're supposed to be here. It's a unique nation in the sense that they were established there, completely destroyed, and to be reestablished there. We, we don't have any uh, other examples really of that in that same way. Verse chapter 13 then uh, Abraham and Lot, they really prosper. They're doing well. Their flocks and everything's growing. And so they're like, hey, this area can't sustain all our all our livestock. We better part ways. And so they split. They go in two different areas. And then it says this, chapter 13, verse 14 says, After Lot had gone, the Lord said to Abram, Look as far as you can see in every direction, north, south, east, west. I'm giving you all this land as far as you can see to you and your descendants as a permanent possession. And I'll give you so many descendants like the dust of the earth, they cannot be counted. Go and walk through the land in every direction for I'm giving it to you. So again, this promise, this is the second time. It's being re-emphasized, reconfirmed by God to Abram. You're, I'm, getting, I'm giving you this land. You're not going to have to earn it. and You're not here to conquer it. You're, it's given to you. It's my uh, gift to you. And then chapter uh, 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 15, we go to the beginning of chapter 15, and he gives them the promise again, third time around. And he says, sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision, said to him, do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you and your reward will be great. Abram replied, sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings right? when I don't even have a son? So Abram doesn't have any children. And he says, God, I'm going to have to give all my wealth. I'm, my inheritance is going to go to my servant Eliezer. He's, he's from Damascus. He's, that's all I've got. And God says, no, he, Eliezer is not getting it. He says, uh, verse 4, you will have a son of your own to be your heir. And the Lord took Abram outside and said, look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. 
And Abram, this is a key verse, you guys, verse 6 of chapter 15. Abram believed the Lord and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. So God, way back then, looks at Abram, says, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. And Abram, old Abram with no kids, you're going to have a son. And and from there, you're just going to have unlimited descendants. And Abram doesn't say, like most of us would say, uh, Lord, that ship has sailed. That is not going to happen. <laughs> right? He says, okay, God, I believe. I believe the impossible. This is faith to believe the impossible. The things that humanly, like, God says, I will, I will do this for you. And Abram says, okay, I believe that. And he waits and he waits and he waits and he panics. Abram was not considered righteous because he was a perfect dude. In fact, he wasn't. He did some dumb stuff. He was definitely, in fact, one of the things he did, he had an affair with his wife's servant, uh, supposedly with his wife's permission, and then she decided that was a bad idea too late. But he has a child with her and, and says, okay, now I've got my heir. And God says, that's not how we were going to do this. You tried to fix it yourself. You were supposed to trust me. And so, okay, okay, okay. And finally, Abraham gives birth. Actually, it's not that impossible. It's not that much of a miracle. Abraham's wife, Sarah, or later Sarah, she gives birth. But it's Abraham's kid. His name's Isaac. Isaac, as it, Isaac becomes the father of Jacob. Jacob becomes the father of 12 sons. We call it the 12 tribes of Israel. As they kind of begin to get established because of a famine in the land, they're, they, they relocate to Egypt where they can prosper and, and they really do. They, they grow into a large nation. But over time, the Pharaoh of Egypt looks and says, man, this ethnic group, this people group is a problem and enslaves them. It's better than genocide, but it's still pretty terrible. But God actually uses that time to constrain them so they can grow as a population and grow large enough that they can move in and actually inhab- meaningfully inhabit the land that he God promised to Abraham. And so God sends a guy named, starts with M, Moses. God sends Moses there to lead these people out. Moses agrees to do that on God's behalf. While Moses is leading the people out, what happens? They get to this place called Sinai and God gives to them the law. Listen, he says, Israel... These are your regulations. These are your rules. This is how you're going to live. This is your sacrifices. This is how to worship me. This is how to interact with each other. This is how to have a priesthood. This is how to even things as somewhat mundane as building codes, all in the law of Moses. And and that's all embedded in there. But here's the key. And this is what this whole passage is about. The law that God gave through Moses came 400 years after he made the promise to Abraham and said, Abraham, you're righteous. It couldn't be by keeping the law because the law hadn't been given yet. It was by his faith, by believing God, believing what God said, believing the promises that God made to him. So he was righteous, not by behavior, but by his belief. Now I'm going to put something on screen that you're going to say, um, thanks, Captain Obvious, but this is what it is. Okay, what you believe shows where your faith is. I know it seems very obvious, but listen to this. 
what you believe shows where your faith is. So, for example, if you believe that you can only be happy with a big pile of cash in the bank, right? Then your faith is really in money. Or if what you believe is that the only, your only hope for retirement is whatever, however big your 401k or 403b is, listen, that means your faith is in finances. Now, listen, I put money aside because I'm trying to be a good steward and plan ahead and provide for my family into the future. I want to be smart about it. But my faith isn't in that. Why? Because I know what the stock market does. I know what this, this world does. And, and it could be gone in a second. That's not where my faith is. My faith is in the Lord to provide. You could say, I'm counting on the doctor to keep me alive. I'm counting on the doctor to, to keep me healthy. And, and listen, if I get sick, if something's wrong with me, I'm going to get every treatment, every medication available. I'm going to be smart about that. But listen, it's not the doctor that's going to keep me alive. My apologies to our medical folks in the room. God's the one who does that. He knows the number of your days and he will carry you through it. So we're not going to panic about that. Our faith is in the Lord. So Abraham was counted as righteous because of belief, not because of behavior. Even though, listen, even though behavior reveals your belief. Right? So if if you're a workaholic, I think that behavior tells us something about what you believe. Um, we're all for hard work. But you got to think through, what is my behavior saying about what I believe? That's so crucial here. That's so vital on this piece. All right, so if we're made right with God by faith and not by the law, why would God give the law at all? Because that just seems to confuse matters. Why, why is it even necessary? We had it figured out with Abraham. Well, it's because the law is needed to shine the light on our need for grace. Right? It's human nature to try to make our own way, figure it out for ourselves, be good enough. If you ask most people, hey, do you believe in God? If they said, yeah, I believe in God. Hey, what do you think is going to happen when you die? Oh, I'll probably go to a, you know, I'll, I'll go to a better place. If, if there's a heaven, I'll probably go. Oh, why? Well, I'm a pretty good person. I haven't killed anybody. That's usually what it is. I haven't robbed a bank, whatever. Um, okay, well, have you, you know what I mean? Like, we set these standards for ourselves, but listen, that, can never meet God's righteous standard. So we know we'll never be good enough. It would be without the law to tell us we're not good enough. We might just trap ourselves in self-righteousness, just trying harder and harder and harder. Let me take an example from my favorite place to take examples, Highway 99. Beautiful CA 99 heading north and south in our great state. Okay, somewhere on there, there is a law called a Speed limits. Okay? Now, that law is there because it's necessary for our protection and for your, well, at least for my restraint. Right? That's the law. With no limit, we could drive as fast as we like. And what would happen? People would get hurt. Things would happen that, that would cause harm. And Causing harm to people is implicitly wrong. That's a moral law. So the law isn't don't hurt people. The law is don't go over 70. If you go 71, you've broken the law. 
And that makes you guilty of sin, even for that one mile per hour. So on one hand, the law is good because it creates order and structure and it allows us to function as a society, but it also shows or kind of induces my sinfulness. And laws are not flexible. Once a law is broken, it cannot be unbroken unless it's reconciled, unless justice is somehow done. And so the law shows both our sinfulness and our need for reconciliation. Well, okay, where am I going with that? Well, all that to say, you and I cannot reconcile a moral law, the moral law of don't hurt people. We cannot reconcile because that's God's law. The human-made law is don't go over 70. I can reconcile. I can stand before the judge and I can pay the fine or do the time or whatever's required to reconcile that broken law. But the broken law of don't hurt people, I can't resolve that because that's God's law. It's not a human-made law. And so we really are completely in trouble. Unable to make ourselves right in God's sight, what we call justified, brought into proper alignment with God, because it's this unattainable standard. And the law shows we need saving, but my flesh proves I cannot save myself. It is a conundrum. It's a difficulty. God made provision in the, in the, in his law that those sins could be covered over for a time. Annually, they went for sacrifices and other, other sacrifices. So this is where we need some good news. We really do. And the good news is this. God says, oh, you're, you're no good. Try harder. That's not the good news. Right? The good news is, God says, I have a way for you to be made right. I have a way for you to be justified. I'm going to make the effort, but you're going to put in the faith. So let me shift gears to, to try to dig in this a little bit more. If there's something, and kind of tie it back to our passage, we're talking about promises. If there's something good that's going to happen in my future, there's one of two ways I can get it. One is I can earn it myself, or two, it can come by a promise from someone else. So let's say I say to my wife, Becky, hey, I think I need new shoes. One, she can say, well, you can earn the money and buy them yourself. Or two, she can say, hey, I'll go to, the, I'll go to Skechers and get you some shoes tomorrow. One is by earning it myself, and one is it by promise. And so, in the same way, um, you know, we've already established I can't earn my righteousness by myself, so the only other option is that it can come via a promise. God's promise to us. And here's the best thing of all. What God does, God does by promise. What God does, He does by promise. He makes the promise. He began that way with Abram. Abram, I'm going to give you land. I'm going to give you inherent children. I'm going to give you blessing. I'm going to make you a blessing. I'm going to bless the whole world through you. I promise, promise, promise. That's what God does. Our salvation is all God's initiative, all God's action, and just our faith to receive it. And in and, and the promise, you know, you look at verse 17, the promise that God makes to Abraham isn't simply an idea or a suggestion. It's what we call irrevocable covenant. It's an agreement that's made that can't be broken or taken back. So Paul's saying, well, what about the law? It comes 400 years later. Did the law cancel the promise? No, because here's what happens. God gives the promises. You're made righteous by faith and, and 
in overtime, but we realize, man, we're sinful. And what does God do? And, and he makes the promise to, to Abram, you're going to have a child. You're going to have a child through whom all nations will be blessed. Talking about Jesus. And so what happens while we're waiting for that, God brings the law in a sense to protect. And we're going to talk more about this next week. God brings us law to protect until the time of the child. So the law serves a temporary function for us, even though it continues to point out both our sinfulness and our need for salvation. And so the work is already done. It's already on the table. It'd be like this Bible saying, hey, this Bible is here. It, you, Josh over there could say, hey, I could, I could bring you a Bible. I could put it on the desk for you. That would be a promise. But but of something to come. But God's saying, it's already done. Jesus already went to the cross, already paid for your sin, already finished the work. It's already there. It's simply to be received. So what God does, he does by promise. And if you if you grew up in a home where promises got broken a lot, this is going to be a little tougher for you. And I'm sorry for that. But please don't paint God with the bad brush of your parents' shortcomings. God is a good God. He is a promise keeper. He never makes a promise that he won't keep. And I bet you some of you can think, I know God's promised me this and promised me that and it hasn't happened yet. I'm telling you, wait, wait on God. Because God's always been the God of grace. He's consistent. He's consistently good. And he's always been the God of grace. This interaction between God and Abram reveals his true character, right? Quick to bless, quick to save, able to to meet his needs, able to provide. And Paul says, listen, God didn't need a mediator to somehow negotiate an agreement. It's God's initiative. God fulfills that promise through Jesus and Jesus who is God. God. It's like God effectively makes the deal with himself all for our benefit on our behalf. And there's this misconception, I think, in that in, it's, for many people that, that the God of the Old Testament is different than Jesus in the New Testament. And, and you look and say, well, you know, there's so much bloodshed in the Old Testament, so many terrible things. Listen, Jesus said to his disciples, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I only say what the Father tells me to say. I only do what the Father tells me to do. We are one and the same. Jesus, the Son, and God, the Father. It's not a good cop and a bad cop. Some people think like God's the bad cop. Hey man, I'm, 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 a, I'm taking you down. I know what you did. I've seen it. You're going to pay. You're going to do the time, buddy. You better fess up. And then Jesus, the good cop comes along and says, listen, I know he's kind of a tough nut, but you'll just like work through me. I'll get you. I think I can get you off. I mean, we can kind of make a, make a bit of a deal. So like, just don't worry about him too much. And then the God, the father's not, it's not like that. They're one and the same. What you love in Jesus is present in God the Father. And, and, and we just say, yeah, but, oh man, nations suffered and people suffered. And yes, they did particularly. And I would say even today, sometimes we suffer the natural consequences, natural consequences, even as nations, because of the choices we make. But God saves individuals. God doesn't actually save nations. He works through nations. He allows nations to experience hardship, difficulty, or judgment. But God doesn't save nations. He's not going to be in America in heaven, right? God loves our ethnicities. He loves the diversity of our, of our backgrounds, our skin color, where we come from. But, but God is looking to individuals. He will save you by your decision to trust in him. So salvation has always been by belief. 
and not by behavior. The last thing I want to say is this. The promise of freedom is a promise to all. The promise of freedom is a promise to all, including you. It, it, if you look, um, let's go to verse uh, 22, where it says this. this Paul saying, the scriptures declare that what we are all prisoners of sin. So we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Christ. We are all prisoners of sin. We are equally in need of saving and equally eligible for salvation. So everyone, regardless of their sins or wounds or status or background, right? we are invited to humbly repent and humbly trust Christ for salvation. Because it's the only means to freedom is faith in Christ. I'm going to invite the, the worship team back to the platform and we have a just a strong song to, to finish with. But this is part of what was happening in Galatians. It was like you kind of had to be Jewish to be saved. And Paul's saying, listen, and again, at the end of, end of the chapter 3, we're going to really dig into it, that it's, your ethnicity is not what matters. Your status is not what matters. What matters is Am I willing to trust Christ with everything? Am I willing to have faith for everything? 1,600 years ago, one of the church fathers, a guy named Augustine of uh, the city of Hippo in North Africa, he, he, he wrote it this way. Augustine has just an amazing kind of conversion testimony. He wrote a book, Confessions of St. Augustine, but... He said this, You have made us for Yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in You. Some of us have pretty restless hearts. We're just having a hard time settling down. Hard time being content. Hard time being at peace. Is your heart at rest in Jesus? Because your heart will not be at rest until it's at rest in Him. That's a true statement. Where's your heart today? Have you found freedom from sin? I don't mean are you sinless, because we still sin. But freedom from that slavery to it. Freedom, freedom from the fear of dying? That's a big one, especially this last year. Lots of folks that have been terrified to die. If you found freedom from that, to know that if today's my last day, tomorrow morning I'm going to wake up in His presence and I'm okay with that. The promise is freedom for all who would wish to receive it. Salvation from God received by your faith in Christ. So it's this Moment, the invitation is this moment of what we call repentance, turning from my selfish ways, my self-righteousness, my own fix-it ways of doing things to say, Jesus, I, I'm totally dependent on you to make me right. That's freedom. And as you do that, he empowers you with his Holy Spirit. He, he leads you, he guides you, he directs your life. And then, of course, what do you do with such good news? That, Like you would with any good news. You share it. You let people know. Right? John and Barb, who got a pie today, might tell somebody, 
You're not going to believe this. We got a, we got a pie at church yesterday. Right? They're going to share that good news. Did you know you've got some good news? You're not going to believe this. I got freedom from the fear of death. I got freedom from my slavery to sin. I, I got it through Jesus. Wouldn't it be amazing if we became the kind of people who could, who could just share that good news with people? Even if it starts as just praying for a, for a friend or doing a kind of a, act of kindness for a stranger or just taking some time to listen to someone or sharing the, the story that Jesus loves you. Those are good things. Jesus, we, we're really grateful that you were obedient to the Father and thank you that you were the fulfillment of the promise that God made to Abraham that you would give him a child who would be the source of our salvation. Thanks for keeping your promises, God. Help us to trust you more and more and more each and every day. We love you. Thank you that you love us. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. Know that God loves you more than you can imagine. And for everything Bethany Church, check out BethanyChurchFresno.com.